four years ago, I was essentially a lab rat at Yale Medical School. Um, I knew that I wanted to use science to improve the world in some some form or another, and medical school was a pretty clear pathway for many folks in STEM. Um, but at the time, I think it was that year actually, it was the first time in history that the U.S. life expectancy has had started to go down, um, and there was a lot of moral questions around our healthcare system and is it really helping anyone? And I was becoming pretty delusioned with being a part of the U.S. medical system and was looking for other ways, I think, to create an impact. And obviously, climate change was coming on the scene, and I was working in environmental chemistry um, and just searching for a way to get involved in the innovative side of, of bringing real solutions instead of just being in the lab. So I started working at the Innovation Center at Yale. I was working on blockchain um, for distributed energy projects, which was really fun. And they had a grant opening, um, it was like a small seed grant for, for $3,000. I knew I wanted to apply and, and put something in. And at the time I came across this paper um, that was pretty recent, maybe a year old out of Australia, where they had profiled like 10 to 20 species of seaweed as feed additives for livestock and their ability to reduce methane. And one species of seaweed, the Sparagopsis taxiformis, which is species that we're working with, had shown like some massive reduction in enteric methane emissions over 90%. Um, and when I did a quick Google, no one was working on commercializing it. So I took a chance, put in an application, knowing nothing about how to grow um, this algae or what it would entail. Uh, completely no idea, idea, I think in hindsight. And um, yeah, I got that small prize and that was kind of the first signal that this was worth working on. And um, while completing my master's there, I was able to utilize the resources to build the foundations for the company um today it's pretty amazing i mean methane has some pretty bad consequences and to be able to reduce it by 90 percent using something that's just out there kind of readily available just not yet commercialized like it's pretty amazing and you probably had the same thought i did when i just heard this you say nobody was working on it like you it was proven but it, nobody worked on it like it is pretty wild yeah, that like you, gap between things that happen in the lab and things that actually get used in the real world is is pretty significant, I think. And we need a lot more innovators kind of moving those solutions into um, real life use cases. So what is what has been the response? Well, what was the response in kind of the early days as you started to commit yourself to this and were kind of rolling it out to some of the early, what were the early conversations like? What was the, did people think, oh yeah, for sure, this makes a lot of sense? Or was there people saying, we're not ready for this, or this is much tougher than you think? Or what was what did that sound like? Yeah, initially there was a good bit of pushback, I think, in the startup world. There's like this profile of the farmer who doesn't want to spend any money, um, doesn't want to be innovative, is pretty stuck in their ways. And I think that's really ill-informed, um, as I've Come to find out they're super entrepreneurial um really able to kind of create iterative innovations within their operations so i think um just changing like that mindset and really going to farmers instead of 
like having business people tell me that farmers aren't going to pay for this um, was a big curve in our like customer development journey. Um, and over the past like three years in particular, obviously there's been a lot of movement in uh, corporations setting climate-based targets and they've moved from just quantifying their emissions within the corporation to now what are we actually going to do to reduce these emissions? So there's a lot of fire, I think, um, globally around working to implement new solutions instead of just kind of talking about them. And I imagine the timing is much better than if you had started 10 or 20 years ago. I mean, there's things like carbon credits and things like that that make this not only um, make sense from a sustainability standpoint, but also dollars and cents standpoint, correct? Yeah, I think definitely the maturation of the carbon market is um, happening at, in current time. Um, you know, we're seeing $5 credits now become 30 and $40 credits, especially in the agriculture space with um, new innovators coming in like Indigo Ag or these companies starting to pay farmers within their supply chain a more realistic rate for carbon. So um, definitely not settled or like, certain there's still a lot of iteration happening in that carbon market but it's becoming more uh realistic very yeah. quickly so at the beginning you said you you know you're a self-proclaimed lab rat uh like spending your time on the science did you did you anticipating get into commercialization and entrepreneurship and growing a brand around this type of thing is that something that you had really prepared yourself for or is it just part of what has to happen in order to be successful with this with this initiative? I think I had an understanding um, of what entrepreneurship entailed from growing up. My parents are both, I mean, not tech entrepreneurs, but um, they have small businesses and restaurants. And so I kind of understood the lifestyle and the ups and downs and, and what kind of responsibility that entailed. Um, I think that's definitely allowed me to uh, persevere through this journey. Um, and then I think too, I really appreciate being able to set like a brand culture and identity and um, think about how we actually want work to be integrated with our personal lives and, and make those decisions instead of kind of just doing whatever's been done for the past 20 or 30 years, which is often what happens in a lab. Um, and, and there seems to be no room for like improvement of the workplace. Yeah. So when you're, when you're like in year one and having these conversations with potential employees and investors and customers, what was your, what was your message to them in year one versus now year four having learned, you know, what works and what doesn't work? Like how has your sort of, pitch to them or message to them like evolved? Is it the same thing or have you learned, oh no, I need to position it this way or I have to frame it up this way? Yeah, I think I've just become a lot more knowledgeable of the like day-to-day -day life of our customers. And so when I come in, I'm more so coming in to learn about their operation and their pain points and kind of getting on the same page about the foundation we're working with and and trying to determine then if our solution is really a good fit for this farm at this time. Um, some of the kind of filters that we look for initially are like, is this farm set up to collect data? Because some of our early partners, like we're gonna need 
to produce reputable data out of these farms. So maybe they won't be a good fit initially, but maybe later down the road. Um, and then, yeah, like, is it, is their production like pretty streamlined? Um, are they, do they have the manpower? Like, have they done experiments before? So, or pilots before? So I think, you know, both ways we're kind of vetting each other to see um, if it's a good fit, at least initially for those first movers. But I think just coming in with an open mind and like eager to learn about their experience has really allowed us to create strong partnerships and relationships where, you know, we're texting each other, calling each other on the phone all the time. Um, having that trust, I think, and building trust with our, our customers is really important. Yeah. You've probably also learned how not to pitch um, the product to customers. Are there certain, wor certain words or phrases that you know, like, oh, that's not the lead in uh, with this customer type? Yeah, I think there's like certain words that we avoid, like even using the word farmer is a little bit condescending. Um, you know, they're entrepreneurs, producers, land stewards. There's a lot of other words that you could use. Um, and then just like etiquette around, like if you wanted to know how many um, cattle someone had, like you wouldn't want to straight up just ask them, how many cows do you have? Because apparently it's pretty rude within the industry the industry because it's kind of like a marker for how much money you make um so there's little nuances like that that you learn over time of like what to ask and how to raise things yeah yeah that's interesting yeah if you if you're coming at it uh through a new angle like those are the kind of just the like you said the etiquette that you wouldn't know otherwise until you have some of those conversations um do you feel like you are moving beyond some of the early kind of early adopters who are really interested in like the potential of this and moving into a little bit more mainstream buyers now, or where would you say you're at on that journey? Yeah, I think we're currently focusing on um, like innovators that are mid-size um, operations or like aggregators in the the supply chains, and then also the larger co-ops. So um, as I mentioned, there's like growing demand for solutions, especially at the corporate level. So a lot of our newer or like more engaged partners tend to be those larger companies at this stage. Um, but we are trying to like stick or stay true to our startup and innovative kind of genre or like demeanor and working with some of those newer companies that are popping up too, like Neutral Foods, um, which is a consumer package, good company that sells like neutral beef and, and dairy products that are carbon offsetted. So um, trying to to hybridize our our different customer pools. Yeah. As you look back, I mean the first four years are so tough uh, for any organization. Are there are there things that were really tough in the moment, but you're on the other side of it now and you're really kind of looking back, you're like very proud that your team is able to kind of get past that checkpoint or anything that comes to mind on that front? Um, like being venture backed and pre-revenue is, <laughs> is always a fun equation. And so there's these cycles where, you know, you've just brought in funding and everything's great and you're growing really fast and no one has a stress in the world. And you onboard a lot of people during that time period too. And then kind of once you're ready to start raising again and uh, finances get a little bit tight and everyone is like dealing with the fact that, oh, shit, I work at a startup actually, and I kind of forgot because <laughs> life seems so good. Um, so definitely financial like cycles is are pretty stressful. 
um, because you have a lot of people's um, livelihoods and jobs on the line and guaranteeing that uh, the company continues. Um, and I think on the science end too, some things are just like still mysteries and unsolvable and they kind of come back to bite you like when you're least expecting it. So I think like going through and developing um, an R&D program and um, trying to, to decide like what amount of um, resources and funding to spend on these really um, elusive <laughs> concepts it is interesting from like a risk perspective as well. Yeah. So I, I'm guessing occasionally you're in conversations where people just don't know a lot about what it is you do. They don't know a lot about the potential of like seaweed and its applications. Like what are, what are some misconceptions or questions that you are hearing from people? Um, I mean, so a lot of people think that methane from cows are farts and not burps. Um, so that's the common one. I almost have stopped correcting people at this point because if it's more memorable as a fart than it is a burp, then maybe it's fine. Um, and then I guess dovetailing off of that, usually when I give a presentation in, in public, um, someone always comes up to me and asks if this product would be viable um, for their brother or their family member who passes a lot of um, gas. So like without fail, um, I get that question. Uh, I, it was funny the first couple of times, but um, <laughs> um, it, it's a little bit irritating at the at this yeah, point. It's like your I disclaimer just, is like, here's the answer ahead of time. I should put a disclaimer um, at the end of my presentations, but it's like without fail. Um, you'd be surprised someone comes up and asks me that question every now time. Now I want to know. I'm guessing it doesn't work the same way on a person. Um, this might be too much detail, but there is a rare disease called CEDO where apparently humans produce a, a good bit of methane in their gut. So some people have reached out to us about that use case, which is, I think, interesting. Like, huh? Yeah. Probably more significant than just like your, your average family member. But um, yeah. Other misconceptions, I mean, my major misconception going into this, and I think it's still difficult to explain to someone who hasn't been in agriculture is like all of the processes that are entailed in developing, growing and processing a crop from like pest and risk management to like seed development um, and then product like logistics and shelf life. It's just kind of, um, it feels like sometimes all these rabbit holes that you didn't even know existed and are really important to guaranteeing a, a, prop, a quality product. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're a first mover, early mover uh, on this. Do you, are you seeing that some of the uh, existing players in this space are now uh, mimicking the product or maybe making similar claims, whether those are real or not? Um, like what? What, is, what does that competition look like right at this point? Yeah, I think initially, um, so the CV that we're growing is really specialized. It has like the special compound in it that allows it to reduce methane. And initially a lot of other folks growing kelp kind of latched onto this as a potential viable um, product for them as well. I think that's kind of panning out to not work and, and they're pivoting. Um, but the other uh, companies in the space that are growing 
Asparagopsis are probably a handful of us globally. And I think that because there's so much research involved, like two to three years involved, kind of just getting a product even in production, um, I anticipate that it'll be more of a tech transfer to other interested seaweed growers at this point. Um, we're not seeing as many like completely new companies emerge that are starting from scratch. So I think the next challenge for all of us that have been at this for a few years is like, how can we catalyze increased production of this crop through tech transfer or through partnerships? Um, and so that's something that we're working on currently is like, how do we package it up and, and give it to someone else in a way that still allows us to like maintain our business as well. Yeah. So what has been in your mind, like the most rewarding aspect of this? I mean, there's probably a lot that's happened over the past four years that you wouldn't have guessed uh, would be the case. And, but when you look back, like, what are you proud of? What's been the most rewarding? I mean, in the beginning, it was probably more tangible things like when we got our first big National Science Foundation grant without a PhD. Um, I was like, look, you don't need to get a PhD to get a massive grant um, from the NSF. That was pretty cool. Um, but now moving on, I think, you know, a lot of my time is spent on people and um, trying to help team members like realize their potential and really grow into new skill sets and roles. So I think those wins are really important for me when I like see someone on our team just killing it and like really motivated. I think that's kind of the biggest marker of success from from my perspective currently.